Hello, I'm Pat O'Mahony, and welcome to the second of our five Media Curious Off Message podcasts in association with JOLT, an EU Horizon 2020 project coordinated by the Fujo Institute at Dublin City University, investigating how best to harness digital and data technology for modern news gathering and journalism. In this episode, my guest is Alina Macri, who's looking into the degrees to which and impacts of how our brains unconsciously interpret the news. Alina, how are you? I'm very well. I'm in Athens, in Greece, and it's super hot right now. (laughs) Alina, tell me, first of all, what your project is actually all about. So I'm, um, I'm researching about um, human cognition and data journalism. I'm focusing on data journalism, but I'm not only interested in um, how you can do good journalism, uh, how you can do good visualizations, or how to interpret and search the data, but how also the human brain, our audience, mm. perceives data and in general acts of journalism. You see, this is this is a project that really fascinates me um, because I've long believed that we humans, because of how our brain has evolved, are rubbish at making logical decisions. You are right. It's it's very nice that um, that you are mentioned that, uh, you know, we are there is a thing like evolution. And mm. many, many times in journalism, we tend to forget uh, that human decision making is not only an outcome of uh, of what uh, civilization society wants, but we also carry um, carry mechanisms from evolution, priors, and these are not always compatible with what humans call logical mm. logic or logical decisions. Mm. When you set out to, to research this, were you looking at the role of emotion as well as logic? Of course, I'm, I'm looking at the role of, uh, of different cognitive biases, all these mechanisms that uh, we have and we're carrying them in our brain and help us decide, making mm-hmm. faster decisions. I know that uh, when, um, when we hear the word bias, we, it, it has a bad connotation, but uh, in cognitive science, it's something very, very normal all humans have. Mm. In journalism, it's particularly interesting because of the confirmation bias we tend to seek information that confirms our worldviews. Then I'm also um, investigating on the brain reward system, why we make some choices, especially the, this, uh, the quick and dirty. The role of emotion, of course, in decision making, perception. Yeah, these are some of the, mm. some of the mechanisms that I, that I try to research. What's the quick and dirty? I've never heard that phrase. Aha. Uh-huh. So, uh, yeah, I said it like a, as, a, um, as a small example, uh, how the brain uh, works, the, the reward system, which is one of the most powerful mechanisms in the brain and make, um, makes us, makes people uh, want to seek for, uh, 
for rewards that are quick and uh, we like something that which is not necessarily good for us and you ah. can associate this with food of course uh, sexual pleasure and uh, very very basic things because then mm. there are other systems that make our choices much more complicated this is where logic enters <laughs> yes yes okay so you set out when uh, when did you start the project how did you start the project and and i suppose what was it that attracted you personally to it what, what is it in your background that mm -hmm. that attracted you to this topic in particular yes of course i studied data journalism i i was trained in in new york so i had a, a quite difficult training and i noticed that we did a lot of uh, python programming algorithms and then my practice uh, as a journalist showed that, um, well, I don't think this is only, this is enough for journalists to take into consideration. And humans are not just visual animals, but we have to treat the, the human brain as a black box. So I, I, it might be a little bit an overstatement that journalists sometimes we expect um, or we... Uh, we associate ourselves with this um, behaviorism that just because we will give um, an input, then the audience is going to react in this or this way. Mm. But actually, it's not how the human brain works. And whatever enters the human brain, then there are other mechanisms inside the brain and, and um, um, operations that we cannot control. And uh, so that affects our actions. How did you know all this? I mean, was this something you had studied before you set out uh, and, in fact, made you choose this actual project? Mm -hmm. It's uh, it's practice as a journalist. I, I was seeing that you could show to two people the same information, but then from brain to brain, the reaction changed. Mm. So there must have been something different. Of course, mm. are the social priors, the background of every person. But what about data? Data are supposed to be somehow objective. And but then you I also noticed that people, they were not reacting in the same way. So I consider that that is something where we need to shed some light on. Gotcha, gotcha. And when did you start? When did you start pitching it? When did you start working on it? I started working for Jolt on December 2020. Um, and uh, my, first, uh, my first task was to read a lot of scientific papers, a lot of, yeah, papers that, uh, to see a little bit of what the journalism stakeholders and the academia are uh, are writing about. Of course, I had a background myself. I, w I used to read a lot of white papers, um, uh, not so much peer-reviewed. And then mm. I noticed that there is something that is missing. And uh, I combined it also with my expertise. Expertise like, uh, I mean, I, I, I didn't find a lot of information where journalists uh, understand their audience and also editors and publishers we were only looking them with through google analytics metrics where are they we knew the demographic data but we hardly know what's the what's the brain about what mm. are what our audience is thinking mm. I, I noticed in in some of the information you sent me uh, ahead of this podcast you used the phrase that intrigues me 
the acts of journalism do not enter a tabula rasa, rather a terra incognita. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? <laughs> yes, I I think it's an uh, I would say it's a, a decent effort from my side to say that uh, we don't know the most uh, complex machine on Earth, which is the human brain. We we know some of the operations. Probably you know that most of the operations of what is happening in your brain, you are not mm-hmm. aware of them. You cannot control them. You cannot control that as soon as you open your eyes, you have a three-dimensional view. You cannot. Uh, you can shut your ears, but you cannot stop noise coming in your uh, mm-hmm. in your ears. So, um, uh, so this is where I'm saying that there is, I would say, misunderstanding in journalism world. That uh, we write something and we are trying to do very well our work and be as objective as possible and without not so much emotion. I mean, hardcore investigative journalism, but uh, but what we do. Uh, enters the brain of people that come with certain worldviews, that come with biases. So um, we don't know what's exactly inside there. That's why mm. I'm I'm calling it a black box. And um, in this way, it eliminates explanations by intentions, beliefs, or thoughts. So it's a, you know, if you treat the human brain and what uh, what the audience is thinking about. Um, and the background, then you start asking different questions. Okay, so when you started the project, mm-hmm. what did you hope to find? Um, better ways to understand the audience. And I have seen from my country where we had some major political problems uh, a few years ago, and you could see that the country was most uh, almost divided, especially when we had uh, a plebiscite in 2015. And although they were, there was equal amount of information uh, towards people, you know, people were reacting completely different. Or uh, people have these biases. And I said, there must be something here that we don't talk about that. Which plebiscite? This was in Greece. What, what was that about? Remind us. Um, so in 2015, July 2015, we had, um, uh, let's a referendum mm. that, uh, yeah, Gr- Greece was in a disastrous financial situation. So uh, the prime minister asked the people, should I take the European solution or I reject it? Of course, the European solution came with a lot of hard measures. And uh, the ball was throwing, thrown to the citizens, and um, this is where the country was actually divided. There were mm. people fighting even within families. So these are weird phenomena, very, very weird. So there must be something else than, what, than the information that is coming from outside. And I would say that this can be the same thing about, we can think the same way about fake news, propaganda. Yes, these are acts that are coming from outside, but our brain and the reality in our, in our brain and in, our, in the way we process things uh, also creates our reality. It has a major, it's a major factor. So you're saying there are pre-existing conditions in the brain that determine how we interact with the journalism we consume. 
Completely, and you can go very far uh, on this topic, and then we can discuss about free will, mm. and if uh, we can control our perception, and it is a it's it's a it's a big topic, and in the legal um, in the legal order is discussed a lot, but not in journalism. And if you just think about how impactful is journalism, it has big impact in society, but uh, we don't tend to see what's inside human. So how do you go about researching this topic? I mean, it's fascinating. Where do you start? It's great. I I start from reading, of course, books and mm -hmm. from professors and doctors. And then I, I interview a lot because um, I interviewed a lot of scientists from the Human Brain Project, from the Max Planck uh, Institute for the Study of the Brain uh, in Frankfurt. And these are... Uh, I would say excellent scientists that they were able to communicate to me the hard work they are doing mm -hmm. and not oversimplifying but uh, simplifying enough to come to my level which is quite low <laughs> very low you have to study a lot before you you talk to scientists and yes. it's uh, they helped me a lot a lot a lot a lot and i'm i'm thinking that sometimes my questions were not childish, but, you know, from, from the perspective of a person that uh, um, doesn't know much. But I, I study a lot. I study a lot. This is the mm. way I'm, I'm proceeding and very humble also. And you had to interview all these people uh, during a pandemic. Would you ideally, I'm, I'm assuming you interview them all online, had you originally well of course you came to the project in 2020 in December when the pandemic was already going full blast so was it always your intention to speak to them from a distance so to speak would you would you have preferred to meet them face to face uh, of course it changes a lot it's very it's uh, well it's difficult to to discuss about so hard topics and you know on 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 those um, internet platforms you can uh, you can discuss up to one hour and then it's it's getting tiring and mm. uh, yeah so I'm 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 looking forward to have a travel and interview people <laughs> uh, <laughs> aren't we all yeah yeah because the you know human contact is um, is incredible and uh, I was able to interview a Greek neuroscientist uh, during the pandemic mm. during the lockdown and we sat almost for three hours he explained me and I needed this background yes. uh, that uh, Kostadinos Kalafatakis gave me and I was able then to to proceed to other interviews but because he gave me he granted me the time you know you need to know that and that mm. and that and see if the, the inferences and the, the conclusions I was um, I was reaching or the connections. So it was um, it was quite important. And yes, the yeah, Internet is you cannot hold great interviews, I would say. <laughs> but it's better than no interviews. Completely. Yes, I agree. Yes. And likewise, you can access uh, all the papers you need to read. They're all online now or certainly most of them. Yes, yes, they are. I have no no problem on on the material. 
it's just the time that I need a lot of time to process the material. Mm. And of course, when you go to a new field, which is neuroscience and cognitive science and cognitive neuroscience, then, um, you know, you are afraid not to say or... Uh, I would say like as a journalist, sometimes I tend to have very fast opinions and make choices because, um, of course, we do all the time. But right now, this research made me completely question myself also. Why do I choose to interview this person and not mm. the other? And what are the biases I bring on a research? I think it made me a better person. My my jolt my my research on this project. We'll get to that in a second. I want to talk to you in a while about the outcome of the research. But did the research go smoothly? Did it go according to plan? Did did anything? pop up that completely threw you or uh, how how was that period of research so far is is very smooth um as i told you the only frustrating thing sometimes is that i cannot uh, i i cannot talk a lot uh, with uh, the scientist i wanted or um it's it's taking time and hmm. uh, so what stage of the research are you at now how how, how near to completion is the project um, so I have to deliver my last uh, my last research my my final paper on April 2022, and I have uh, already done the first paper, and uh, now I'm getting deeper and deeper on uh, on the human brain <laughs> uh, and on the non-conscious operations of the human brain, the role of emotions, which is quite complicated. Mm. Are you still carrying out interviews or are you now analysing your interviews? I'm, I'm still carrying out interviews because that's the amazing thing. One scientist will tell you one thing and then because scientists, they limit themselves if they don't master 100% uh, what they are talking about. They will tell you, oh, 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 this is not my field. You should go to this person. Mm. So, you know, that's uh, that's that is something that I respect because sometimes I see from uh, from myself or from my colleagues that we tend to talk for many topics that we don't have in depth knowledge. Uh, while scientists uh, they don't operate in this way, so I still continue, and I, uh, of course, beyond my contract, my and the project and what I have to do, I I have a great interest in the topic, a great great interest. I have become ah, passionate. So even after you finish this project, it's an area you'll investigate further. You think? Yes, yes, completely. And if oh. one of your uh, <laughs> the listeners and the audience has something to suggest. <laughs> Uh, it would be great. I mean, yeah, if, if there is any uh, anyone in the academia or any institution that is interested, because many the, the, the scientists told me, also, oh, that's a yeah, we haven't thought about, you know, you can do that in journalism, actually. What has surprised you most about what you've found? Um, for me, the most surprising thing is well, several uh, several things, but the, one of the first is that maybe the the, the rough categorization that we have as a, a, the human agents doing things consciously and non-consciously, so voluntary or involuntary, it's actually it might be wrong. It is a workable distinction, which 
stems from the humanities and from from the social uh, yeah it's a social distinction and that in accordance to uh, neuroscience it might be flawed or it might be much more complicated so this has a, if you really thinking about uh, seriously and you take neuroscience very seriously on this point then uh, the concept of responsibility and accountability in our systems mm. in our legal systems um, will um, yeah will change in the future but what about us as consumers um if we don't know what's going on in our brains, how can we take responsibility or change? Is that an area you've looked at? How can we consume our our, our, our media, our journalism differently? Mm -hmm. So completely, you are right. I haven't focused so much on that. I have, I'm focusing a lot also on, on culpability. Um, so this is it has it affects several several areas wherever a responsibility is um, is included let's say or is uh, is implied this uh, this distinction conscious and non-conscious a myth of, and also freedom um, it uh, it's something completely different of what we think and uh, what our education and belief systems have uh, mm. instrumentalized us to think or to believe. So and for me, this is also something uh, striking that I have read in one of the papers of Wolf Zinger, one of the leading neuroscientists of Germany. He wrote a paper um, called A Naturalistic Approach to the Hard Problem of Consciousness, which is also <laughs> consciousness. Is, yeah. I don't get into this field, but and uh, mm. at the end we see that uh, we are, maybe we are not as free as we think, and uh, and it's maybe education, religion, um, belief systems that some sort mm. of instrumentalize and cultural some sort of cultural priors they call them to make us think that uh, there is another agent outside of our system of our body and uh, and we think that we experience freedom and responsibility not an easy concept mm. huh? not an easy mm. and and that's kind of the area that personally intrigues me is 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 the whole area of choice and freedom and responsibility and how much of that is a myth uh, and how much of it is reality and maybe that's your next project yeah yes completely completely it's uh, it's something that is uh, it, it is already in the legal system it's uh, in some countries um it is discussed and uh, how judges make decisions how the juries are and in general lawyers how they apply law to facts and if you think about mm. it journalists we do as almost the same thing we go back in time we construct stories out of past events and this is something which is prone to errors because sometimes we forget we make choice what to include and what not and then um, we have this penchant for narrative that all people have we want to make sense out of the input that we receive and uh, we may construct um, events and facts in a way that makes sense to us and that has nothing to do with um, 
subjectivity and truth. Yeah, objectivity in journalism is is possibly the great myth of all. Uh, but I, I also suspect that many publishers and editors, and maybe it's subconsciously they know already about what you are researching in how they structure front pages of newspapers and headlines and you know the pictures they choose in news reports on television and even the tone of voice of radio news reports um, that they themselves whether if you ask them about it they may not be able to articulate it or, or they they may not even admit it but I am I'm pretty certain they probably know what you're talking about already. Yes, and uh, it's I of course many many times uh, there is emotion and there is display of the sensational journalism also and uh, as one of the scientists told me from Max Planck uh, institution that um Somehow journalists know that uh, the most important part of the story is in the beginning and the end. And actually that's how the human uh, memory is working. What's in between mm. doesn't work. But you told me, you know, that uh, maybe something, this is something you find out by trial and error. <laughs> so there are, uh, there are uh, several operations that, uh, yeah, a lot of professions, um, they try in order also to... To manipulate also people, we see this of course in politics. Uh, but to give it a word and write a paper about that, I think is something different. To read it, I also knew that uh, yeah, the nice picture in the text will attract and will catch the eye. But then it's completely different to read how the the brain works and what is going to be mm. more efficient. And of course, how affected decision making, because what sort of journalism is, is the one that doesn't help you decide what to do. What do you think your work will conclude? Oh, I'm, I, I wouldn't talk about conclusion or, uh, you know, putting a dot. Um, I want to pick interest in journalism stakeholders that, you know, they are, there is this and we need to know how how our brain works and maybe we should not uh, be so judgmental and you know I will tell you something else I, I think that uh, we should not consume the journalism we want but the journalism we should it's, um, I, I think ah. <laughs> so uh, if you are leaning left probably you need to, to read a little bit what's written on the right and um, Think of it as uh, as medication, taking a little bit of <laughs> uh, yeah, medication. Because you need to think what other people consider and in accordance to their own uh, biases and their own their own uh, worldviews. And this will make us better, like facilitating coexistence. This is civilization about, no? <laughs> it sounds nice. Uh, I'm I'm not sure it'll ever happen. <laughs> uh, but look, it is that thing of bias that you consume the news that you believe completely. But uh, now let's see what the big companies are doing, like Google. When you open mm. um, on the phone uh, the application, it picks. It picks. Uh, of course, it might be uh, in accordance to your preferences, but. Uh, 
it picks a lot of uh, articles from different sources. Isn't it this better than going to the first page of only one media or two? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If we can get round the pre-existing biases so that, that people actually do consume that media, what I would be worried about is that as this knowledge becomes more uh, apparent and public uh, and discussed, that it could be exploited to make public consumption of the media even more extreme what as editors mean? as publishers as as journalists know how the brain is likely to react rather than try and make something that is less sensationalist and more factual that they will exploit the weaknesses in our brains so that we end up consuming more crap I take this uh, very constructive critique very seriously. I'm, uh, I will, I, I'm thinking about it. This is, this has happened in the past with uh, politicians or the, I would say, the secret services that they had this. They knew a little bit of cognitive how to make uh, people behave, uh, mm. and uh, you know also the famous uh, experiments uh, done in uh, in uh, U.S. universities. So this is something, of course, someone can uh, can profit from it, but uh, it's better for more people to know how the brain works. And uh, yeah, it's knowledge, and it, this is how science also mm. advances. And then you can control so yourself. You can self censor yourself when you are writing something, or you have in mind that maybe there are other people that they have different worldviews, and that you can address to them. Or maybe it's your way of perceiving a story this way because it makes sense to you and maybe that's not the truth. As, as Mr. Zinger told me, truth is something very, very difficult. Oh, yes. How would you like this work to impact the real world? You've touched on it. When you're finished, where do you see it being used by the media in general? Um... Yeah, I I want to go a step further because right now I'm concentrating on data journalism and this is what JOLT is about, uh, about data journalism and technologies. I want to broaden my research and uh, discuss more and about neuroscience and, and journalism and analyze these concepts of... Uh, I'm, I'm very much interested in, in capability and responsibility and how you hold people accountable. I would like um, us journalists to analyze human behavior in a little bit different way, not so critical, not so... Um, be open to think that uh, maybe it's not the way we think, uh, the way we condemn people easily somehow and that maybe um, the human condition humana is completely different and we have um, uh, we have systems that we cannot control so yeah give more empathy when we analyze events and analyze human behavior this is what I would like to uh, and because you know what we said before about someone doing something consciously and unconsciously today in the legal system people are punished and imprisoned in accordance to this dichotomy and if we seriously talk about this uh, 
that you know um, conscious unconscious uh, doing something voluntary or involuntary is not is not in the um, uh, the people cannot choose and maybe there are the genetics affect the levels of serotonin mm. affect uh, if, if the person is aggressive or is more depressive and maybe this is something that instead of imprisoning people maybe we can uh, we can have a medical cure for this and I, I would say the same thing would go to journalism. Of course, we don't have this severity of the legal order, <laughs> but it, uh, we will analyze uh, and provide meaning of the world around us in a different way. If that happens, that would be terrific. Um, you already have alluded to the fact that your research and getting involved in this project has changed you as a person. How? Um, completely and I'm, I'm very happy I'm very very happy about that because it made me a better person a better person in the sense that uh, I have more empathy I try to have more positive emotions or understand that emotions are prediction mechanisms that we have and that sometimes what I'm feeling is not what is in the surrounding environment but this is something that mm. I am afraid so I try to analyze with my prefrontal cortex better the, the situations and uh, somehow change my perception. And perception is, uh, is a crucial thing, you know, it's um, what we are all about. Have you become more empathetic? Yes, I, I try to understand friends, family, that... Um, Maybe the, the way they decide to do things, but I think it's irrational. They have their own, uh, their own mechanisms and decision-making processes, and we don't have all access to the same resources. And as, um, as uh, Mr. Moreno, one of the great scientists of uh, Human Brain Project, uh, who is based in Spain, told me, you know, irrationality is a bad starting point for science. Um, people have their worldviews and make concrete choices because they cannot think of everything. You know, they don't have infinite resources. So uh, this made me less dogmatic, um, more compassionate, more able to discuss with people and try to find common ground. And this is possible. And that's a big game. Wow. <laughs> Wow! Yes, it is. It is. It is, and and it's uh, that's great to hear, um, uh, Elena. I really look forward to reading your final um, submission because it, it is fascinating, and also good luck with continuing it on after your period with Jolt, um, because you've scratched the surface. I think. I think that would be fair. Totally, totally. I just scratched the surface. It's justice because mm. it's a huge topic and still there is um it's just 50 years that we have this cognitive revolution uh, it's too too early okay alina macri thank you very much i thank you very much <laughs> So, thanks again to Alina Macri for that fascinating jolt off message chat about how we need to be more aware of how all of our brains unconsciously interpret the news. 
More information on Jolt and the other podcasts in this series can be found at joltetn.eu. You can also find all these and more media-savvy podcasts and blogs and subscribe to future ones at patomahony.ie slash offmessage. We're Off Message 1 on both Twitter and Facebook. Until the next time, I'm Pat O'Mahony, this is Off Message, and thank you for listening.